Welcome to the Grace Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're encouraged and built up in your faith as we dive into God's Word together. Enjoy the message. Good morning. How are you doing, Grace Chapel? Doing good? Um, Is this too loud? It's not? Okay, because I heard a little ring. There, all right. Well, my name is Billy. I'm the youth pastor here. Usually my wife is sitting in the front, but she is actually uh, with the middle schoolers right now. So uh, she's the lovely woman who plays the keys over here. You see her? Yes. Round of applause for her. She always gets the applause. I always, uh, it's always funny. Every time I say my name, nobody claps. And then when she comes up, everybody claps. Yeah, yeah. So we've been talking about uh, the gathering place. We've been talking about the church. And so we're going to go into that again. We're going to go into the gathering place uh, another time. And, and I want to ask you this simple question. Why, why do you gather? Because the, the simple fact is, we've been learning about what the church is. Pastor Brian has gone through uh, that it is salt, it is light. It, it is that which brings the message of the gospel to the world. And we hear all these wonderful things, but really, why are you here? What brings you to church? Because the world would look at the church as something that is arbitrary. They see the church as ancient, disconnected, irrelevant. They see the people of God as problematic. In our culture today, the people of God are problematic, judgmental. We're more known for being hypocritical. Today, there are many Christians who also feel the same way, especially among the youth. They see the church as a relic of the past, a bastion of old ideas, non-essential, unnecessary. The younger generations have sought after earthly wisdom and found their fill in modern-day philosophy, personal truths, and social justice. They look for comfort through means of anyone or anything that would affirm their way of thinking and their way of living. And if they can't find the affirmation they are looking for, they will isolate. They will isolate. They find that in isolation, their ideas, no matter how flawed, they remain unchallenged. They gravitate towards others who think and feel the same way and simply remain. No growth, stagnant. I know this because this, this was me. This was me at one point, isolated and apart from the family of God. And you may think that this only applies to the younger generation, but it doesn't. We are all prone to isolate, to sit stagnant with bad ideas that go unchecked and unchallenged. But we were not called out of darkness and into his marvelous light to fly solo. We were not saved to isolate. We were saved to congregate. We were made to pray together, worship together, sharpen one another, and continue steadfast in the teachings of the Scriptures together. We find this all throughout the book of Acts. My goal this morning is simple. I want to lift your affections toward the church. And I'm not talking about this building. I mean, it's people. 
I really do. I mean it's people. I'm not here to, to make sure that you always attend church, but I do want you to know something, that there is something about the gathering of God's house. We will look at a few passages of Scripture this morning, and I want to answer two key questions regarding the church. Questions I believe Pastor Brian has been answering for a few weeks now, but I, I believe repetition is the best teacher, and we're going to go through this together, so stay, stay with me. Number one, the first question we're going to look at is, what is the church? What is the church? And number two, what does the church do? And, and I believe in answering these simple questions, we can adequately come to an understanding as to why exactly do we gather? Why, why we gather? Firstly, let's look at the question, what is the church? Turn with me, and we've been in this passage of Scripture for a couple weeks. Chapter 16 of the book of Matthew. We're looking at verse 15 and 18. It says this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he, first he asked them a question. He said, who, 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 do you, who do the people say that I am? And they answered, some say Elijah, some say you're a prophet, you're Jeremiah. And then, and then he asked a simpler question. He said, who, who do you say that I am? And, and verse 16 says, Simon Peter answered, it says, you are, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then he says, I also say this to you, that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. This is the first time this word church is used in Scripture. It is used to mean something simple, a gathering. Uh, we've, we've heard the word before, ecclesia. It means the called out ones, the sanctified ones, the people called out. The ecclesia is, is the people of God. It is a gathering. And by definition, you cannot be the gathering on your own. You can't. An Old Testament example of this is simple. In, in the Old Testament, we have the children of Israel. They were, they were called out of slavery, out of Egypt, and out of darkness and oppression, and into a new nation. Uh, they were made into a new people. They were given new laws, given a new purpose and identity. They were a people called out. And just like the children of Israel, we too are called out together. And we are called out to gather, redeemed from an old life of sin, sanctified and set apart for God's purposes. This word would first be used by Christ himself. He's the one who defines the church. And I want to give you a few other titles. I don't expect you to write all these down, but I just want you to hear this. These are the, the titles that would later follow in Scripture. We are not just the church, but we are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church of the firstborn, the church of God, church of the living God, the dwelling of God, the family in heaven and earth, the flock of God, the fold of Christ, God's building, God's field, house of Christ, the household of God, the lamb's wife, the pillar and support of the truth, spiritual house, the temple of God, the temple of the living God. What is the point. The point is, it is God's. The church belongs to Him. He defines it. The church was His idea. It's His gathering. He called it a gathering, and therefore it is a gathering. 
He said, I will build my church. He is, he is not only the foundation of it, he is also the, the builder of it, and he's the starter of it. He is all the church, he is the head of the church. So when we ask the question, what is the church? Here's my definition. It's a simple one. It's his gathering of disciples. It's his gathering of disciples. Disciples, meaning not just anyone, can be the church, but followers of Christ. People who gather in his name and in obedience follow his commands. These were the disciples. After all, this is who he was speaking to when he revealed the name church. He was talking to his disciples. So we have its definition. I think this is its definition, and, and I want to look now at its foundation. Look back at the text again in Matthew chapter 16. He said, and Jesus said to him, this is verse 17, and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We've been learning through, through this series that the rock is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was, it was the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. That is the revelation. It is, it is the foundation of the church. It, it is the bedrock of the church. It's what keeps it steady. It's, it's what keeps it afloat. It's what has kept it steady for over 2,000 years. This is the revelation. So, so back to our question, what is the church? It's, it's first, it's a gathering of disciples built on the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we have its definition and its foundation, and now I want to look at its inception because we want to see how it originated, because it didn't originate here. Jesus is still talking future. He's still, he's still in the future tense. He says, I will build my church. The church hadn't started just yet. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Verse 8 says this, Jesus speaking again to his followers, his friends, his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Here, Jesus' followers, his disciples, they're hearing Christ tell them, who, by the way, are actual witnesses to Christ's miracles, his death, his empty tomb, his resurrection. They were taught by the very Messiah himself. For three years, they walked with him. They, they talked with the flesh and blood Jesus. And I'm sure they were well informed as to who Jesus was and what he accomplished. Yet they were told to wait. That wasn't enough for the church to begin. Uh, they were not equipped fully. They still didn't have everything they needed to be Christ's witnesses. And the word witness here, actually, it has the meaning of martyrdom, meaning that they were to be someone who's willing to die for the faith. They were Christ's followers, his disciples. They had the revelation of Jesus. They had the teachings of Jesus. But they were still ill-equipped without the Holy Spirit. The church did not originate through good teachings or mere information. The church was not the church until it was empowered from on high. It was birthed in power by the Holy Spirit. 
So here's our, here's our definition. What is the church? It's, it's his gathering of disciples built on the revelation of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church was not anointed with the Holy Spirit just for nothing. The church was, was birthed in power for purpose. There was a reason the Holy Spirit came upon them, and that leads us to our second question, which is, so what does the church do? They weren't just empowered to sit and, and talk about this man, Jesus. They weren't just supposed to sit on their own information and sit on the own wisdom that they have. They were actually to go out. Its, its mission is actually found in the same text. Look back at the text, Acts 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. They were empowered to be a witness. They received power to be a witness. But what the church does, its mission is simple. We understand this. The simple message of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the church. The mission is to preach the message of Christ. The church was empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. Christ said something similar, actually, about himself. After he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came, came upon him, and the Bible says that it rested on him, it remained on him, then, then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and challenged. And then coming out of the wilderness, turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. We'll have the scripture on the screen for you. It says this, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogue and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The mission has not changed. The mission. The details of the mission have shifted, whereas Christ had come, he had died, he was buried, he was raised again, and then the Spirit came, not on just one person, but on a body, a gathering. The mission is the same. The fire was, was just passed down to the church. The church, now empowered with the Spirit, preaches the message of Christ. This is what the church does. It preaches the gospel to the poor. And the gospel is release to the captives. The gospel is sight to the blind. The gospel is freedom from oppression. We are carriers of the kingdom, empowered by the Spirit to preach and proclaim the gospel to the world so that they may know who Jesus Christ is. This is what the church does. So what does the church do? It preaches the message of Christ. But this mission will prove ineffective if we don't have love for one another. Turn with me to John chapter 13, looking at verse 34. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, his friends, 
And he's laying this out before them. He says, a new commandment I give to you. And just like the children of Israel who were brought out of an old way of thinking, an old nation, an old oppression, the chains of bondage, the chains of slavery, they were brought out of a nation and into a new nation to a mountain, and God said that they would come there to worship him. And what happened in that mountain? They were given commands. And here, the new, the new Jesus is here, and he is, he's bringing a new commandment, something that, would, something that would trump the old ways. And he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By the way, this is above the one that's usually quoted, which everybody likes to quote, which is, love thy neighbor as yourself. This one, it, it takes it a step further. This is, this is love your brothers and sisters the same way Christ loves us. It's a higher standard. It's a higher standard. He says, by this all men will, will know that you are my disciples. Listen to this. If you love if you have love for one another. The, the world is watching, in other words. You can be a disciple on a mission, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. Your mission can be powerful. Your gospel, you could even understand all of the ins and outs of the gospel and preach it to your heart's content till you're blue in the face and you will reach no one apart from love. So how exactly did Christ love us? Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Paul reveals this. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And here's how. Ready? He gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The love we are to imitate is a sacrificial love. And notice he did not say, if we go back to John 13, notice he did not say a new option I give to you. It is not a suggestion. Uh, this, is, this is necessary. This is a command given to God's gathering, God's people. You are to love like Christ loved. You are to love one another. This is where the world looks at us and sees whether or not we really follow Jesus. Whether or not our confessions match our conduct. We claim that the gospel changes lives, but if our lives look the same, why would anyone believe your message? When we don't have love for our brothers and sisters here, in the body of Christ, the world watches, the world waits, and the world takes note. If a church wants to be effective in its mission, it must have affection Toward its people. Paul writes to the body of believers in Corinth. We know this chapter. It's the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. My kids have these toys. My sister-in-law purchased them and I know what she, she knew what she was doing. There are these three little dogs. Tell me if you've seen these before. They're little dogs, and all they do is go, and they never, they never stop. It's this constant, 
annoying sound. And they have three of them. And when three of them are going at different times, it'll drive you crazy. And there's a thing called ear fatigue where your ear actually, it actually begins to, to be very fatigued and bothered. And it's actually, it's this terrible sound, this constant noise. And that's your message of the gospel apart from love. When you preach the gospel as the kingdom, as the church, and you have no love, the world gets ear fatigued. It is, it is a nuisance. It's annoying. He says in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and knowledge, some of us think if we just had the signs, wonders, and miracles just come from our hands, the world would believe. No. If you have love, you have nothing. Verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, if I'm a martyr, the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted for his name's sake. But here, if I do all these things, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. We must have love for one another. This is what the church does. It loves. One of the defining factors of the church is that it loves. The world outside the church, outside the gathering of God's people, they understand what, what no love is. They live in a world where there's no love. So when they come in here, it's the only thing they recognize. So if they come in here and you, you lack love for your brothers and sisters, they can spot that. They can see that. And how you treat your brothers and sisters here determines how effective you are out there. This is what a gathering of Christ followers does. So what does the church do? It preaches the message of Christ with the love of Christ. And finally, it does all this through the unity of Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Just a page over. Here Jesus is praying for his followers. He's not just communicating with them this time. Now he's praying for them, and he's praying not just for them. He's praying for his future followers, you and me. This is called the high priestly prayer. It's one of those good chunks of scripture that you can just dive into. And here in his prayer, we're going to look at verse, seven, or verse 16 in chapter 17. Jesus praying to the Father. He says, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the disciples who were with him, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, and watch this, so that the world may believe that you sent me. We must be unified. It's not a unity that the world preaches. It's, a, it, it's different. It's, it's not just a unity of, of linking arms, but it's a unity in Christ. It's a unity through His Word. It's a unity together in, in His truth, unity in His commands, a unity in Christ. 
This is what brings us together. It's been said before that Christ is the glue. He is, he is not just the foundation, the revelation, and the Spirit of Christ is what empowers it, but He's also what holds it together, and He's also what, what furnishes it. He's also what blesses it. He bestows the gifts upon it. He takes care of His church, and it's inside this oneness, this unity. That's what the world is looking at. They see that. You know, the world is disconnected, divided everywhere. Do you know that they are searching for a unified body? They are looking for a united people. And they can only find it. True unity, true love only comes from the church. And if I can have Mark come up, I'm going to close here in a little bit. I promise. So what is the church? It's his gathering of disciples built on the revelation of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There it is. If you want to start a church tomorrow, there are the things. That's all you need. And what does the church do? It preaches the message of Christ with the love of Christ, through the unity of Christ. So when I ask you, why do you gather Maybe this isn't good enough. Maybe this is just the definitions, its purpose. Maybe it's, maybe it's all right. Maybe you're still wondering, why do I come? Do I come only because my parents before me? Okay. Why do I gather with the people of God? I can at least tell you why, why I gather. Why I gather is because God redeemed me from an old life and brought me into a new life. Colossians 1.13 is, is my testimony. I don't think I have this on the screen for you, but I'm just going to read it. It's our testimony. Together, I, I would say. It says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We gather together because, because there are other people who have been redeemed, and this is the house of the redeemed. And where we gather is people in like mind aimed towards Christ for his mission, his purpose, and through his spirit. And in love with one another, the world looks on it and sees what is this weird group of people. And they see something that's not in the world, they see something that is separate, that is sanctified, it's different. I gather because this is where light is. You know, the Bible says that the church, one of the definitions was the upholder and support of truth. A pillar that holds up the truth. Do you know that this is the only place, the gathering of God's people is the only place where the truth is being uplifted? You know, your, your truth out in the world is being attacked. And by the way, no one is there to hold it up. No one is there to keep it. No one is there to lift up truth. Do you know that the church is that pillar of truth? When you walk into this place, this is the one place you can come where, where the light of truth, the gospel, is preached. And maybe it's not about these four walls. Maybe it's not about this building. Because it's not. But it's about the people. 
And you can have the greatest mission, you can understand the definitions of what the church is, but if you don't have love and unity with the people you're sitting next to, the world is watching and your mission is ineffective. We must understand this as the body of Christ. The, the gathering place was God's idea. The church was God's idea to bring people into the kingdom of God through the message of the gospel. The church is Christ's gathering of disciples built on the revelation of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church preaches the message of Christ with the love of Christ all through the unity of Christ. And if there's one thing I can leave you with, if there's one thing you take away from this message, is that you cannot be the church on your own. You cannot be the church in isolation. You must gather. It's a gathering place. It was his definition. He defined it. He's the head. There is no pope. There's no prime minister. There's no leader. There's no other king. There's no pastor. No one else has called the church the church. Only the head of the church gets to call it by its definition. Let me just read this over you. The rest of Colossians 13, 23, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through the death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. You've been called out of the world. He reconciled you to himself. We gather because this is his gathering. Thanks for joining us. And thank you to our Grace family who have been generously giving in to this ministry. For more information about our church, please visit gogracechapel.com and give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram with the same handle at gogracechapel. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.